Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and uh, God bless you. And uh, tonight, we're continuing our prayer, Bible lecture, and possibly a quiz. If I can get my paperwork together here, we're looking at the, um, the topics tonight will include introduction to the book of Job, the life and times of Job, Job the man, Job, a misunderstood book, the wrong right concept of trouble, purposes and benefits of adversity. We're reading from Turn the Curse to a Blessing book and um, by Dr. Paul Garam, a minister out of Pennsylvania, and I'm ready to turn the TI, Targeted Individual Program, curse into a blessing, and that's why I am reading on this topic, and I urge all people, known and unknown targeted individuals, just people that are being bombarded with a curse, things that are not God's will trying to usurp authority over your life to grow in God, to grow spiritually. Let the devil know he's a liar. Don't lose your praise. How to handle, how to handle a a curse and turn it into a blessing. How to turn a curse to a blessing. Let's take a look at some of the uh, different perspectives, the wrong right concepts of trouble, purposes and benefits. Let's punch the devil in the eye. Let him know what he meant for bad. God can and God will use for good. God, we just give you all the praise, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. We thank you, God, for each and every prayer warrior on the line. We thank you, God, for giving us understanding of the spiritual realm, using this time to advance our knowledge of God's word, to give us a different perspective to bring us out of the victim mode to the victor mode, to be able to punch that devil in his eye, to know that you are the sovereign God, to know that we're thirsty for your word, to know that we have a chance to get it right, another chance, God, that we may not be at that perfected, mature level yet, but we're on our way and we're doing everything in our power to bring us to that level, Heavenly Father, where your light can shine through us, where we can make great changes on this earth, and we can let the devil know you definitely picked the wrong one here. You have picked the wrong people, that God's chosen people have an assignment, and we thank you, God. We may not have known it before, but we're very clear now. And we thank you, God, that we know if you gave us an assignment, that you you will give us everything needed to complete that assignment. As long as we do our share, 
and we keep our ears open to your word, and we follow your steps. God, we give you praise. We give you glory tonight, Heavenly Father. We exalt your name. We magnify you. We just thank you, God, for you being God. We thank you, God, that despite targeting individuals being dispersed across this nation, that we're unified in prayer, we're unified in your word, Heavenly Father. And we're coming to give you the praise, the glory, and to be edified in your word and to grow and to look at the oldest book on this earth, the Bible, to get a better understanding of evil that is on this earth. One of the oldest things on this earth has been evil. But one thing we know, that the only power over evil is the power of God. And God, I just thank you, praise you. And I ask you, God, to bless each and every participant, listener, downloader, cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ, keep a hedge of protection, Heavenly Father, particularly over targeted individuals. Well, somebody's phone is making noise. Particularly targeting individuals and their bloodlines. Watch over them. I decree and declare that our children and our children's children, our nieces, nephews, will be the men and women of tomorrow, that they will carry the banner of the Most High God, and that demons will tremble when they reach the assignment that you created them for, and that, God, you will cover them and lead them and direct them right into their assignment. And we ask you, God, to bless them and protect them, our children, our babies, our elders. We thank you, God, for our elders. God, I ask you for a special hedge of protection over them, that you bless my mother, Elizabeth's mother, Amy's mother, each and every one of the elders, Heavenly Father, Anne's mother, that you cover them, watch over them, and we thank you, God, for the gift of longevity that you've given them. God, we give you all the praise and the glory, and we ask you, God, to extend the gift of longevity to each and every one of us that we can complete the assignment and move this earth the way you would have it moved because we fully understand that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. God, we ask you to bless this blessing, Heavenly Father, on Job as we become edified in the word of God and the purposes and benefits of adversity as we become edified in turning curses to blessings. Now we get a better perspective on the concept of trouble, God, that let us leave here with an uh, understanding we did not have oh, previously. Somebody mute your phone, please. Mute your phone. It's clicking and hicking in the background. God, we thank you. We praise you and ask you to bless targeted individuals across this nation, Lord. Those that don't know how they're going to make it, God, give them away, Heavenly Father. Let them put their trust in you, and God, I ask you to open the windows of heaven for them. I ask you, God, I thank you, God, for keeping those of each and every one of us. God, for keeping us with some way to eat, some way to be able to, keeping us with God's favor, roof over our head, family, friends, despite this program that wants to isolate, tear people away that, God, we're able to come together and praise your name and just say thank you, Heavenly Father. And we thank you, God, for the blessings yet to come. And we thank you, God, for busting the curse of induced poverty, oppression. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to bless each and every person with good health. Number one, that every eugenic attempt to harm them in their health will be put under their feet, that they will, we will be blessed with good health in all that we do. And after good health, God, that we'll be blessed with, with peace, love, compassion, 
and prosperity to share the joy of God. God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of the Internet and technology to be used to advance the work of God, to be used for prayer, to be used for lifting your name, for praising your name, exalting your name. We thank you and we praise you, Heavenly Father. God, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Anybody else wants to pray? You can uh, pray now or at the end of the reading. It's up to you. But I'll open it up for other people that want to pray, particularly for other TIs. Nobody else want to pray? Okay, we're going to take a look at uh, introduction to the book of Job. In our first two readings, we explained some of the benefits and purposes for difficulties and trials. In this lesson, we are now laying a foundation for the book of Job, the classic book on suffering. <clears throat> if you're a T.I., one thing you have learned is this thing called suffering and persecution. And Job is a book you may really want to look at to understand what where was God. Job was a righteous man. How did that happen? Let's get a better understanding. God was going to test a very good man and make him into an even, even greater man. There came a day when Job suffered. Calamity on every side, including the loss of his family by a violent storm and bankruptcy. That sounds like the induced oppression, the storm, these emergency disaster plans. The trial was not for any sin in his life, but to deliver a message to Job and to every generation to come. That message is this. In spite of any calamity or injustice that may come into our life, we can never point our finger at God and charge him with wrongdoing or irresponsibility. This is the theme of the book of Job, and it is a lesson to which all of us must take heed. The life and times of Job. Job lived a few generations after Noah's flood, but probably before Abraham. The book of Job is most likely the oldest book on earth, recorded more than 4,000 years ago. Genesis was written over 500 years later. Mm. I didn't know Job was written before Genesis. Wow. This, thus, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Wow. The earth. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. That's amazing. I didn't know that either. And Genesis is written 500 years. Um, Let's see. The book of Job is the oldest book on earth, recorded more than 4,000 years ago. Genesis was written over 500 years later. Somebody got dropped. Let me just see who that was. Whose phone is cutting up? Oh, Elizabeth got dropped. Poor Liz. Okay. All right. Um, The earth rapidly repopulated after the flood, but very quickly turned away from God again. 
The problem is not ignorance. Man has a rebellious nature and wanders quickly out of the way. Shortly after the flood, they built a tower which was used to worship the planets, especially the moon. God knew where fallen man was headed, and thus he came and changed all the races and languages. Then the Lord dispersed mankind all over the world. This is recorded in Genesis 11. Not too many years after this, the events of the book of Job took place. To restrain a fallen, rebellion, revolting nature, God has now done three things to man in Genesis. He pronounced the curse, introducing pain and trouble and placing limits upon man. God destroyed the earth with a flood because man became horribly corrupt. And after the flood, God had to change the races and languages and disperse them all over the earth. God did this to... Stop evil because man was using his combined intelligence for evil. Mm. Also, after the flood, man's life expectancy was greatly diminished. Before this, people lived to be 900 years old. Job the man. Job was one of the three most righteous men in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 14, Job 1. The Apostle James uses Job as an example of patience and to consider the end of a matter. He was a wealthy man, but Job was also deeply humble, was also a deeply humbled man who depended on God, Job 1, 3, 5. Poor people are not necessarily humble. Rich people are not necessarily proud. It may be the opposite. Job was a family man. He cared for his family. He prayed daily for each family member, Job 1.4. Job lived shortly after the flood, yet he had visions of the second coming of Christ, Job 19.25. Job actually saw the resurrection in the millennial age, and he lived to qualify to be a participant in this. There are high qualifications to be in the first resurrection at Christ's coming, Revelation 20, verse 4. The trial that had its onset in chapter 1 was not because of any wrongdoing or secret sin in Job's life. Even the Lord said to Satan, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, Job 1, verse 8. Actually, the book of Job is a very misunderstood book, Yet, a few facts can clarify its message. Job, a misunderstood book. To understand spiritual matters, we must surrender our analytical minds and have a spirit of humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Understanding is God's gift to the humble. The intellectual debating spirit is rooted in pride. Only by pride comes debate. Proverbs 13.10. The debating mind is inspired by pride and wishes to outsmart and confound others by its own wit. The book of Job contradicts much of today's shallow theology and its prosperity teaching. Today, it is commonly taught that if you live right, everything will go well for you. This is simply not true. The book of Job upsets 
this concept. Here is an account of a perfect and upright man, and everything went wrong for him for a while. Our Lord never promised us a life of ease. He never told us we would be exempt from troubles. Many people are living for this life. They want their reward now, but what will they have in eternity? This life is only a preparation for the next one. It is in this life that we are making our choices for eternity. The wrong right concept of trouble. When Job's trial came, he declared, that which I greatly feared has come upon me, Job 3.25. Probably Job had been forewarned that a trial of great magnitude was coming. Hence, his response, some say that Job had been confessing fear, therefore it opened the door for Satan to bring calamity. This cannot be substantiated because in chapter 1, we see why and how this trial had its onset. Job's trial started when God challenged Satan, saying there's no one in this earth like Job. Satan replied that Job only served God for the benefits, because he was rich, because he had everything. And if he took everything, if God took everything, then Job would curse God if these things were removed. God wanted to test Job. It was God who brought up the subject of Job to Satan, Job 1.8. The Lord was provoking Satan. God wanted Satan to ask for permission to afflict Job. Thus, God removed the protective hedge so that Job could be afflicted and tested. It was not a negative confession from Job that brought the trial, but a hedge that God had removed. Mm. God wanted to test Job, having something to say to the accuser, then reward Job with a double portion. Also, God was going to forge a very great man into an even more righteous and holy person. Hidden needs in Job's heart would surface during his trial so that Job could see them and be freed. Remember, God is performing something eternal in our hearts during our trials. Job 23.10. We are being prepared for an eternal place in heaven. We are called unto eternal glory, 1 Peter 5.10. In the book of Job, we see that God is the author and also the finisher of our trials. God is sovereign, and Satan cannot go one inch further than God allows. Job 1, verse 12. God controls the temperature and the length of time in our fiery furnace. He was the fourth man in the fire when Daniel's three friends were cast into the furnace, Daniel 3.23. The purposes and benefits of adversity, it destroys pride. Adversity destroys pride. It opens the door for new grace. God gives new grace to the humble. It reveals what is in our hearts. Trials provoke hidden problems to surface. It makes us mellow and compassionate. Hardness and criticism are devoured, devoured in hard trials. Job 23:16. Adversity helps us cease from sinning. You got that right. It destroys one's 
it destroys one's propensity or bent or bent to sinning. First Peter four one. It makes us stable and uncompromising. Suffering establishes, strengthens, and settles us. First Peter five ten. Adversity brings peace. God judges these inner conflicts when we are passing through the fires, Daniel 3.21. Adversity keeps us on course. God's chastening brings us back to the right path, Psalms 119. Adversity produces patience. Tribulation or pressure works patience, Romans 5.3. Adversity purifies faith. Our faith is purified of foreign elements as presumption and emotion, 1 Peter Seven. Adversity works out obedience. We learn obedience by the things we suffer, Hebrews 2.10. Adversity makes us meek. Moses learned meekness by many crushings. Anger is the result of unsurrendered rights. Adversity brings us joy. Joy results from faithfulness to God's will and saying no to our own will, Matthew 25. Adversity identifies us with Christ's reproach. Christ's reproach brings us glory, 1 Peter 4.12. Adversity gives us the ability to comfort others. When we are comforted, we can comfort others. Adversity creates divine nature, gold, tried in fire. Intense heat purges mixture in our lives, Revelations 3.18. Adversity prepares us to reign. Great tribulation prepares us to reign with Christ. Adversity brings us to full sonship. If we endure chastening, God deals with us as full-grown sons, Hebrews 12.5. Adversity causes us to enter the kingdom, Acts 14.22. Kingdom life results from the fruits of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.9. Adversity makes us perfect. Suffering prepares us for the task. God has sent us to do, Hebrews 2.10. And this is all saying, this whole TI program, if you're not lined up more with your purpose in life, then you're not learning the lessons as to why you've been put in this program. You've been put in this program for a reason. God allowed you to be put in this program for a reason. And it's to line you up with your destiny. And I can assure you, particularly with targeted individuals, that most TIs, those that know they are and those that don't, they would not, I know a lot of TIs would not be talking about no human rights, civil rights, and just, I mean, we are more aware and we acknowledge more of demonic problems on this earth than we ever did before, whether it's, it's the vaccinations, whether it's, it's the abortions, whether it's the harming children, children abuse, uh, rituals, spiritualism, Satanism. We are more aware of these horrific atrocities on this earth than we've ever been, and we've taken a more active role. And had it not been for this program, we'd probably be in a limo riding, talking about Yahoo, hee-haw, who knows? God has a reason. And as long as this program is being used to awaken us, to enlighten us, 
to advance the kingdom of God. We let the devil know that in God's time, things are going to turn around. This curse will turn into a blessing. That he allowed this for reasons. Again, um, uh, finishing up, adversity brings us to glory. Glory is always preceded by suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Romans 8.18. Adversity makes truth come alive. Light and life result from miserable, difficult experiences, Job 3.20. Adversity allows vicarious suffering, suffering for others, that means. Suffering releases life to others, 2 Corinthians 4.10. Okay, those are some of the um, purposes and benefits, according to the Bible, for adversity. Now, let me go to, that was my little summarized manual. Let's take a look at the history and background of Job. So they give a, a little Job's place in history. Let me see. The book of Job is normal. Okay. The book of Job is no no mere parable. Job was a real man. In fact, one of the greatest men of all time. God compared him with Noah and Daniel for integrity. Ezekiel fourteen fourteen. In the New Testament, Job is cited for his example of patience while suffering affliction. God tells us to look at Job and consider the end of a trial, Deuteronomy 8.16. In addition to moral lessons to be learned in Job, the book also sheds remarkable light on the philosophical breadth and intellectual culture of the patriarchal age. Job's place in history. Adam came around 4,000 B.C., Noah, 3000 BC and the flood was 2348 BC. Then there was Abraham in 2000 BC. Then there was Moses in 1500 BC and there were laws given. Then there was Daniel 600 BC and Christ's birth came after Daniel. Life and times of Job. Job lived sometime after the flood, but probably before Abraham, after the flood, Noah lived another 300 years and would have been alive at the same time as Job. Genesis, Genesis chapters 9, 10, and 11 cover the period after the flood to Abraham. The earth rapid, rapidly repopulated after the flood and very quickly turned away from God. Is this not the story of man since the beginning of time? Man is prone to wander away from God even when he knows what is right. Read Genesis chapter 11. At Babel, they started a new form of worship by building a tower. This tower was used for the worship of the planets and especially the moon. God came down and confused the languages, dispersing them into the countries of the world. At the same time, God changed nation nationalities. Life expectancy was greatly reduced after the flood. Before the flood, God extended long life for the purpose of accumulating knowledge. 
because man had to learn everything from level one. Note, man never had to discover fire. Discovery of fire is only a myth created by the atheist. After the flood, man did not have to learn everything from the beginning. On the ark, Noah undoubtedly had numerous books and knowledge of many ingenious inventions. Mine keeps getting dropped. Oh, poor Liz. No, Liz is here. I don't know if she did get dropped. Liz is? Okay. Okay. Man was extremely brilliant, even in Job's time. This is evidenced by many of the conversations between Job and his friends. They understood nature, science, the stars, and they had an amazing knowledge of God and his ways. Earliest man understood music, metal forging, built cities to dwell in. Genesis 4, 17, 22 tells us. In Isaiah 41, 4, it says, calling the generations from the beginning, Isaiah indicates that God has a specific purpose and message for every generation. Job's generation was no exception. God perfected a special message in Job, declaring it not only to Job's generation, but to every succeeding generation, too. That message developed 4,000 years ago is what this book is all about, that Job was a misunderstood man. It was, mis- it was a misunderstood book. The man himself is very misunderstood Bible character in order to understand Job or any other spiritual issue. We must always approach it in the spirit of humility. The book of Job contradicts much of today's theology. It is our spiritual enlightenment as superior as we assume it is. Is the church of today any more discerning of God's ways than Job's brethren were 4,000 years ago? They declared most emphatically that when you do right and believe the promises of God, that everything will run smoothly. But if you do evil, everything will be contrary. The book of Job upsets this concept. Here we are presented with one of God's most righteous servants, and yet everything went wrong for him, at least for a while. We have a misinterpreted verse. One of the most abused verses in the Bible is Job 3.25, when Job cried out, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid is come unto me. It is commonly taught today that because Job had been meditating on and confessing some negative thoughts and fears, it opened the door for Satan to get in and bring all these catastrophes upon himself and his family. This, however, is found to be quite unwarranted when we look into chapter 1 to see how the trial had its onset. In chapter 1, God brought up the subject of Job, not Satan. God wished to test this remarkable man. The Lord himself created the setting of the trial by praising Job, provoking Satan to jealousy. This stirred up the adversary to ask for permission to strip Job of all his blessings. Job's trial, therefore, was the result of a conversation between God and Satan, not Job's negative confession. Yes, the trial was the result of a removed hedge. However, it was not Job's fears that removed the hedge. But it was God's permission for Satan to test Job that removed the hedge. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me as we look more closely at Job's comments in Job 3.25. We should see more clearly that this passage simply indicates that Job had been previously warned about his coming trial. Should this surprise us? After all, Job had a close walk with God and he knew the secrets of the Lord. 
it does not seem unusual at all that the Lord should prepare Job by speaking to him about an upcoming trial. Job did not know when, where, or how, nor did he understand all the details. He knew a trial of great magnitude was coming, and when it finally arrived, he cried out, that which I greatly feared has come. God is very gracious and grants foreknowledge to his servants when he knows they need it. God will show us the future when he knows it will help us. John fourteen twenty nine. Understanding fortifies us to bear up the pressure of the storms of life. Job was a visionary man. Job had visions of the second coming of Christ, the first resurrection, and the millennial age. Job had personal promises from God that he himself would participate in this resurrection and literally see the Lord during the millennium. With, with such promises, he lived a holy life. He feared God and shunned evil. Job was seized with a sense of destiny for his life, and this urged him to live very carefully. Job was a righteous man. He represents a righteous man who is being further trained and purified by adversity in order to qualify for a better resurrection and to rule and reign with Christ. Not every Christian participates in the ruling and reigning with Christ. Revelations 20, verse 6. Only those who are holy will reign. The Corinthians, for example, were not ready to reign with Christ at the time Paul wrote to them. Paul describes, describes them as carnal and babes and not cleansed from the lust of the flesh. They were forgiven, but they were not mature. An overview of Job's life. As we read the book of Job, Job we observe which portions are devoted to Job before his trial, especially consider chapters 1, 29, and 31 for Job's background. How did he live and what kind of man was he before his trial? Job's spiritual roots must have gone gone, a long way. He must have had unusual promises from God to have ever endured such a trial. Great men have special keys in their lives that have made them outstanding in their field. Job, before his trial, here we see his youth, his reputation, character, and vision. Job, during his trial, God was making him even more righteous and holy. Job, after his trial, he received a double portion, meaning honor and an eternal name in the Bible. Job was about to be tested in seven ways, economically, domestically, physically, socially, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Job was a T.I., in my opinion. Again, Job was tested. This sounds like the T.I. program. He was tested economically, domestically. That means by his own government, by his own people. Physically, his body was stricken with great pain. Socially, his relatives and closest friends misjudged him and forsaked him. Regional people would despise and speak against him. His honorable reputation will be temporarily destroyed. If you a T.I., you don't have people up in your face, <clears throat> love you. At one point, you could even say, everything you touch turned gold. And then this program set in. So he was tested in seven ways. Mentally, he was going to be very confused. Emotionally, he would be depressed. Mm. Circumstances would seem hopeless in the natural. That's the T.I. program. Circumstances would seem hopeless in the natural. You have to stand on God's word to make it through this program. 
and I know Job was yeah. Spiritually, he was tested. God was going to be silent mm, for long months. Yeah. The need for understanding. The spirit of understanding is one of the seven spirits of the Lord mentioned in Isaiah 11:2. Understanding means to comprehend, to discern, to know thoroughly, to grasp or perceive clearly, to have clear perception of the meaning of something. Understanding enables us to see God's hidden hand in irritations and injustices, causing our responses and attitudes to be right when trouble comes. Without an understanding of God's ways, we will react incorrectly to injustices and then become bitter. Understanding helps us to cooperate because it breaks down resistance and stubbornness in our hearts. Understanding helps us not to miss the point but gives us perception of what God is trying to say. Some saints never learn God's ways. Consequently, they spend their whole lives fighting and demanding justice and vindication for themselves. Although Job did not understand the specifics of his trial, he understood the broad principles of God's ways, and this saved him. Mm. Understanding. And that's why we're here. You get this program here, this should run everybody. Like, once you recognize the only power over evil is the power of God, it's the power of good. Mm-hmm. You have to get on. You, you, I mean, understanding is it. That's why we, we, we're here tonight. That's why we, 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 I want understanding. Like, how, how do you have a program, a global program, international program, that has a right to just literally depopulate, kill people, put people in the hospital and tell them about not resuscitating them and just kill them? I mean, I mean this is this problem. I, we need, I, I know I need understanding. And I do believe God is 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 putting a message. Another another book I read on spiritual warfare. It said because I I I've been seeking answers, and it said when you see a lot of evil and you start wondering, well, where's God? It, it just said sometimes that God will allow a lot of evil for the benefits of mankind, for the benefits of humanity. And sometimes, you know, this is the point. The only way people are going to wake up is once you, you, you know, I, I mean, I guess it's got to, you know, you, you got a lot of people got to suffer because man is doing this. This is not God doing this. This is man. These are people using their free will to do the work of the devil and to waking up the rest of the earth. I guess God wants people to see that, you know, this is what, this is what men, men will do. All right. So people rebel when they lack understanding. The Israelites revolted against God because they had no understanding of what he was trying to do in their lives through their circumstances. God said, they do always err in their hearts and have not known my ways, Hebrews 3.8. Because of this, they never entered into God's rest. They wandered perpetually in the wilderness. I don't want to do that. There are many who waste much of their lives going in circles. Oh, I don't want to do that. See Psalm 78:37. In the case of Israel, God actually de- deprived them of understanding because their hearts were so hardened against him, Deuteronomy 29. 
Therefore, we must keep our hearts tender before God in order to receive the spirit of understanding. Understanding helps us cooperate with God. Why are some Christians strong and stable while others are up and down all the time? What determines the strength of a believer? What is the deciding factor? I believe the answer is their vision. The difference lies in their grasp of the truth and their understanding. Truth is much more than a standard of right and wrong. Truth is light. It is an illuminating power power that shines into the darkened soul, bringing tremendous inner strength and freedom, John 8, 32. In several of his epistles, Paul mentions weak brethren who have a weak conscience, 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14. What is the reason men and women are spiritually feeble? It is because light and revelation have not yet penetrated their being. A transformation takes place within our souls when God opens our eyes and imparts his understanding to our hearts. Understanding enables us to cooperate with God when adversity comes into our lives to develop and mature us. Without proper understanding, our response to difficulties will be evil, yes, evil. We must understand the concept of trouble or we cannot successfully face purifying trials and go on to Christian maturity. When a Christian is instructed wrongly on the subject of adversity, he will become confused when difficulties arise. He may become so disillusioned with Christianity that he turns his back on God. Yeah, we have a lot of TIs. Turn atheists. They're like, yo, I'm done with that guy. Yo, you, you can allow all of this, this, this to happen to me. I am done. And we pray. We pray. We pray for those TIs. You say, hmm, you, so you know quite a few too, huh? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, they just, hmm. they get bitter. They just, they say, I'm done with God. And that, that is not the perspective. You'll be in a vicious circle. We have to understand that, you know, the problems are in life. We must understand the concept of trouble or we cannot successfully face purifying trials and go on to Christian maturity. When a Christian is instructed wrongly on the subject of adversity, he will be confused when difficulties arrive. And that's because he was told, you do, you give that money in this church, put that money in here, and you know, then they say, and if you can live right, you won't have troubles. And that's not how it works. He may become so disillusioned with Christianity that he turns his back on God. Therefore, we should ask God to give us an understanding heart, as did Solomon in 1 Kings. Three, nine. Understanding is God's gift to those who love him, who please him, and seek him earnestly. Also, it is imparted to the pure in heart. The pure in heart shall see as God sees, Matthew 5, 8. God withheld the gift of understanding from Israel because their hearts were so hardened with accusation against him. Deuteronomy 29, verse 2, 4. The more godly and holy a person is, the better he accepts, understands, and copes with adversity. Have you ever noticed the manner in which the world and the disobedient view trouble? It is always with gloom. This is because they are only living for this present life. Contrawise, the Apostle Paul embraced difficulties because he knew and understood the eternal benefit it was going to bring.
see 2 Corinthians 4.17. Vision makes the difference between up and down Christians and those who continue to press on to the end. It is not uncommon at all for believers to sit back at an early age with a retirement mentality. This is the end result of no vision. Without a vision, we dwell carelessly. But the man who has been struck with a real vision understands what God is doing and he that God has a defined mark to press t- toward. Also, he possesses the holy fear of coming short of it, Proverbs 29. Understanding strengthens us because it gives the ability to see irritations and injustices from God's perspective. It makes us react the right way to these irritations or injustices. It helps us remove any seeds of bitterness from our hearts while in the heat of a trial. It causes us to cooperate with God and trust him in a fiery furnace. It removes resistance, stubbornness, and hardness from our hearts. It increases our perception of what God would do in our lives because of an irritation or trial. It helps us to see the end of a matter and it produces hope. Before we delve into the theme of Job, we need to remember seven points about Job's trial. After that, we want to remember seven major reasons for his trial. So we have seven points and seven reasons. And the seven points to remember about Job's trial. Job was not afflicted because of any wrong in his life. God was the author of his trial. A trial is really a trial when it is beyond our explanation and understanding. That is the TI program. Again, a trial is a trial when it is beyond our explanation and understanding, because I sure can't understand it. To this day, I can put my resumes out there, and I still, you know, there's a reason then. I've just, you know, if I haven't landed the job and, and the things that I feel I want, there's a reason. God has a reason. Am I happy with it? No, but I have to develop understanding, like, why he's allowing this. Job never complained about the devil. He knew there was a higher power, God. Seven points to remember about Job's trial. So in the midst of his trial, he knew there was a higher power, God. God was dealing with one particular thing in Job's life during the trial. God was silent for months. God could not explain what he was doing. Job had special encounters with God before his trial that enabled him to go through. Let's take a look. Important points to remember about Job's trial. Job was not afflicted because of any evil in his life. God's testimony of him was outstanding. Job 1, 1-8. There's none like him on the earth, perfect and upright. God's eternal testimony of him is seen in Ezekiel 14, uh, verse 20. He is listed among the three most righteous men in the Old Testament. Number two, God was the author of the trial and the finisher of it. In Romans 10, 19, we see that God uses jealousy to fulfill his purposes. The Lord purposely provokes Satan to jealousy by praising Job. Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth who fears God and shuns evil? Satan always wanted to be the greatest, and now God was provoking him to jealousy by drawing attention to Job. 
The time had come for Job to be tested. Therefore, he was stirring up Satan to ask for permission to afflict him. Job 42.11 reminds us once again that the Lord himself was the one who was ultimately responsible for his trial. Satan was the afflictor, but God was responsible for the onset of the trial. Revelation 2.10 clearly shows us the reason God still has Satan around, and that is that ye may be tried. Wow. Mm. When God has finished using Satan to test us, he will deliver him to eternal destruction, Revelations 20.10. A trial is really a trial when it's beyond our explanation. It was not meant for Job to understand the trial, but rather to hold fast and trust God implicitly. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's all beyond. We can't, and, and, and we talk about this. You know, we know we can't understand this program. We need to understand what's not meant for us to understand, but to know that God is in charge. And most of us came to that conclusion. We're like, this is insanity. I mean, everywhere you go, there's probably infiltration, the stalking, the blacklisting. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But we need to know that God is still in charge. All right? Um, When God has finished using Satan to test us, he will deliver him to eternal destruction. All right, we did that. When a trial is really beyond our explanation, it was not meant for Job to understand the trial, but rather to hold fast and trust God implicitly. Often in a trial, God cannot explain what he is dealing with or what he's doing, though he would like to. However, many times after the trial is accomplished, he does explain. If God gave us total understanding during a trial, this is what would happen. Our faith in other qualities would not develop. Our heart would not be conditioned to receive what God wants to address. It could destroy the work he is doing in our lives. It could destroy us. It would be too much for us. Job never complained about the devil. Job knew that there was a higher power and that God was ultimately responsible for his predicament. Therefore, his complaint was only to God. Job 121. After Job had lost everything, he declared, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He did not say the devil takes away. Excuse me. Certainly Satan did the afflicting, but Job knew that God sovereignly controlled the entire situation. God was getting at one particular thing in Job's life during the trial. Although the Lord was accomplishing many other things as well, during the trial something evil surfaced in Job, an attitude that sharply criticized God's wisdom and character for allowing him to pass through such horrible circumstances. Although he was not guilty of this at first, Job ended up condemning God, yet he found no fault in himself. In so doing, he made himself more righteous than God, and this is what the Lord was getting at in Job's heart. Whenever we question God, we're putting him down and lifting ourselves up above him. From this premise emerges the theme of the book of Job, and it comes in the form of a question. Shall mortal man be more, than ju- shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Job 4.17. 
Right. When you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You did this, and I don't know why you did it. You say, okay, I know more than you. Whenever we question, challenge, or criticize God, we're putting him down and lifting ourselves up above him. Upon this premise emerges the theme of the book of Job. The theme, shall mortal men be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Job 4.17. God was silent for months. The trial probably lasted between six months and a year, and that's shorter than this CI program now. But he did lose a lot. It could not have been for years because we hear Job say he had been suffering for months. As has already been stated, it was not meant for Job to understand all the particulars of his trial. He did not know how everything was going to turn out at the end, nor did he have knowledge of the conversation between God and Satan, the commencement of the trial. While the Holy Spirit was silent, Job's friends were busy analyzing, theorizing, and philosophizing. They did not have the word of God. God was not speaking, thus these well-meaning brethren were judging Job with their natural minds. Summary of the advice of the friends. Some things they said are right, some things they said are wrong, some things are very wrong, some things they said are true enough but not relevant to Job's situation. What Job needed was a good listener. There are few good listeners. When a person is in great pain, say as little as possible. Pray softly and don't assume that you have the answers of that or you are infallible in your advice. Job's three friends were great men. They were peers. We judge a man by the friends he has for a man's fellowship with those on his own level. They loved the Lord and were deeply concerned for the welfare of their friends. The problem was that they did not have a deep enough experience, and therefore they did not have the proper light to understand Job's situation. They had never seen or heard of anything like this before. According to their own observations of life, calamity is always a sign of God's judgment. Therefore, they felt compelled to exhort him to repent. This they do eloquently. The book of Job is written poetic style except for chapters 1 and 2 and the last verses of chapter 42. It is painful to be misunderstood by close friends. This was one of the hardest aspects of Job's trial. All of us have been victims of being sized up by well-meaning brethren, but we too have been guilty of the same. Thus, we should be forgiving to others who misjudge us, especially those who know better. At his second coming, Christ is asked, what are these wounds in thy hands? He will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends, Zechariah 13.6. If we would come to know Jesus intimately, we will have to experience being wounded by our friends. If you're a T.I., you know your friends are turned on you and your family, too. It's something you're doing. You're doing something on the job, girl. You're somebody, I can't, you know. Job had special encounters with God before his trial. No man could have ever endured such a trial without first having unusual promises and extraordinary mountaintop experiences from God. We, too, should seek God for our own personal promises. We need special meetings with God in order to be strengthened to face our tests. After we endured the fiery furnace and passed all of our tests, the double portion awaits us. Job declared, the secret of the Lord was upon my tabernacle, Job 29. It is clear that Job had knowledge of the mysteries of God and had received special promises from God before he had his trial. 
Job understood by revelation that he would be in the first resurrection and see the Lord in the coming millennial age, Job 19.25. These mountaintop experiences with God strengthened him and held him steady in times of darkness. Spiritually, Job had eaten of the hidden manna or hidden truths of God, Revelation 2.17. These revelations had imparted supernatural inner strength to him, the same way that Elijah had been strengthened when the angel fed him, 1 Kings 19. Now I'd like to give specific reasons for Job's trials, although all of the reasons listed could be applied. Reasons for his trial. It was a test to see what kind of man Job was. God wanted to have something to say to Satan, the accuser. It was to make a righteous man even more righteous. It was for the purpose of bringing a greater revelation of the Lord to Job. It was to bless Job's latter and to exalt him, to give him an eternal name. It was a test for everyone else around Job, too. Everyone was on trial. And his trial was for our sake also. Job left a message for us to take to heart. Let's develop on this. Reasons for Job's trial. It was a test. Every man will be tested by God. Also, his works will be tested. God tested Abraham to see where his priorities were and to have a look at his motives, Genesis 22.1. Satan claimed that Job was only serving God because of the blessings. Thus, God allowed Satan for a season to strip Job of all of his blessings. The Lord knew what he had deposited in Job and how far he could test him. Anything that stands to fire is only what we have allowed God to put into us. Job had spent his life saying yes to God, and this enabled God to build something mighty within him that could stand the fire. Not everyone qualifies for a trial like Job. It was required of Job to pass many other tests before he could come to this one. God, number two, God wanted to have something to say to the accuser, Satan. Satan had said, he's only serving you for the blessings. Take away his blessings and he'll curse you to your face, Proverbs 27:11. To give an answer to him that reproaches me, God wanted to have an answer for Satan's accusation. The Lord was confident that Job could pass this most difficult test. And by doing so, God was glorified. God could say to Satan, here is a man who remains loyal to me in spite of everything going wrong. Mm. Job's right response was a blow to Satan. It was a punch in his eye. When Job lost everything, he kept the right attitude, and he offered the sacrifice of thanksgiving, saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. However, Job did utter some unspiritual words later during his trial as the months dragged on, but he never cursed God or renounced his faith. And I think it's only natural, you know, everything falling apart, you'd be like, wait a minute, hey, where are you, Most High? Praise the Lord. Okay. All right, another reason was to make a righteous man even more righteous and holy. There are three basic reasons for difficult times and wilderness trials. T.I.s, are you listening? There are three basic reasons for difficult times and wilderness trials. Like, why would we go through this PI program? And these are built in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. The three basic reasons 
for difficult times and wilderness trials is to make us even more righteous and holy. It's to, one, humble us, two, to prove or test us, three, to show what is in our hearts. According to Jeremiah 17, 7, we do not know what's in our hearts. Job was a righteous man who was placed in a fiery furnace for the purpose of being made even more righteous and holy. This deeper cleansing and greater self-knowledge resulted in a greater revelation of the Lord. According to Revelation 22:11, righteousness is progressive. He that is righteous, let him continue to become more righteous still, and he that is holy, let him continue to become more holy. In other words, Job was a righteous man, but God wanted him to move to the next level. To bring a greater revelation of the Lord, another reason for his trials and tests was to bring a greater revelation of God. At the end of his trial, Job was able to declare, I have heard thee by the ear, but now mine eyes see thee. Truly you and I will see the Lord more clearly when the veil of our flesh is cut away. Job's trial was called a captivity. Captivity in the scripture speaks of trials and hard bondage. Yet we must remember that we are the Lord's prisoners. The purpose of captivity is for God to give us a heart to know him. It is for our good. When we are purged from the spirit of idolatry, pride, and other vanities, oh, how clear our vision will become. Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart. The trial was to bless his later end, to exalt him and give him an eternal name. The important fact to remember in life is not where we have come from, but where we are going. Our end is what really matters, Deuteronomy 8.16. In Psalms 45.17, there is a promise. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations, and Job's name is remembered in all generations. Job inherited this blessing. From Ezekiel 14.14, we see that God was honoring Job 1,500 years later. And he still is today. As a matter of fact, he will come, he will continue to do so for all eternity. Job is in that Bible. The memory of the just is blessed, Proverbs 10.7. The whole purpose for humiliating experiences is that God may exalt us in due time. First mm. Peter 5.6. That's a scriptural promise. He was tested for the purpose of testing everyone. We're all, all were on trial. The focus has always been on Job and the fact that he was being tested by God. However, everyone else's heart was being tested too. All of Job's brethren were on trial. Job's relatives were on trial, and so were the people downtown. Actually, the whole region was on trial before the Lord. When a leader is going through a trial, God is carefully looking into the hearts of everyone in the whole fellowship organization to see what they are saying and thinking. God will use the same measuring rod on us that we use on others. So let us think and act mercifully, Matthew 7.1. His trial was for our sake also. Job left behind a vital message not only to his own generation, but to all succeeding generations as well. 
God recorded his trial in his eternal word in order to instruct every future generation. The critical lesson Job learned in his trial is one that God has sought to teach mankind from the beginning of time. The lesson learned is this. In spite of any tragedy, sorrow, or disappointment that may come into our life, God is infinitely just, and we cannot point the finger at him or charge him with irresponsibility. Neither should we ever question his love for us. God's character, wisdom, and good judgment cannot be criticized in times of pain or loss of man or loss. Man often responds negatively. Too often God is charged with cruelty and sensitivity and being unfair. There will be available grace, divine enablement for every test. Also, God will ultimately resolve every predicament if we keep our hearts right and we do not allow ourselves to become bitter. If God does not give an explanation of what he is doing, we must trust him anyway. This brings us to the theme of Job once again. Well, the next reading is on the theme. But the summary of the theme, Job 4.17, shall mortal man be more than just God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? When tragedy or heartbreak break comes, man's first reaction is, God, this is not fair. You are not fair. Man is too quick to utter error against God, Isaiah 32, 6. By criticizing God's wisdom and character, we sin. Note, most sins we commit are with our mouth. In doing this, we are putting the Lord down and lifting ourselves above him. Job was guilty of this later on in his trial, though not at first. He condemned the Lord but found no fault in himself, making himself more righteous than God. God wanted to teach Job and every one of us this lesson. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Righteousness is progressive. Job was declared perfect and upright. However, God still had further light he wanted to give Job. With further light, he would recognize a greater need in his heart. Job was living up to all the light God had given him thus far. Therefore, God could declare that he was perfect and upright. He was sincere and mature in this sense of the word, but he had blind spots just as we do. In his trial... In his trial, unredeemed areas in his heart surfaced, areas he had been aware of before. When these came to his knowledge, he was able, after his confession, to experience, he was was enabled for new cleansing. Thus, Job represents a righteous man who is being dealt with by God in order to become even more righteous and holy. Life is motion. Christianity itself is progressive. It is going from one stage to another, from glory to glory, from one level of faith to another. We must continue to grow and move on in our Christian experience. True Christianity forces us to face issue after issue in our lives and to have a meeting with God in each of these areas. Below are several scriptures that imply movement and growth, scriptures involving motion and growth. 
1 John 2, 3, and therefore we do not know that we are coming to know him. If we keep his commandments, we will only come to know God if we are responding to what he is saying to us. Our love for God is proven by doing his commandments. Love for God is always preceded by enlightenment or truth. Light leads to love. Love for the brethren and true unity can only be arrived at if we are obeying what God is saying to us. Hosea 6, 3, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, there are many issues that we cannot know or understand unless we continue to walk with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Although we are immediately transplanted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, all things do not immediately become new, such as old ideas or habits. It takes time for everything to become new in our lives. For example, we may have to break off old friendships and have, that have corrupted us. Romans 6.17, righteousness unto holiness implies that one will lead to the other. First we become righteous, and then we move to holiness. This takes time and growth. Job was upright, but he still had growth, and God needed to test him to bring him to that next level. And what that means to me is this TI program is is a test, and it's a test to bring us to a next level for the assignment God put us on this earth. And we could not reach this assignment without this test. That's what it kind of means to me. All right. All right. Revelations 20:11. He that is righteous, let him continue to become more righteous. And he that is holy, let him continue to become more holy. Thus, we can see that walking in righteousness will lead to holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting suggests that it takes time and does not come immediately. Boy. Mm. Hebrews 6.1, therefore, leaving the basics of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship being created in Christ Jesus. This is present tense, meaning God is working on us. Okay. Imputed righteousness, imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness, I think I did some of this. Yeah, well, let me just summarize it. Imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is to be counted righteous, though we are not. It is simply our judicial position in standing with God because another has paid our debt and has acquitted us freely of all trespasses committed. So imputed righteousness means you accept Christ as your Savior, and it's it's like a, a standing with God. Now God is, you know, he's covering you. That's imputed righteousness. Then the next step is imparted righteousness, and that's, that's to be made righteous. This is righteousness worked out in the heart after God has dealt with us so that we practice righteousness. Imparted righteousness is, is when we, now we're, we're living the life. This righteousness is granted only to those who hunger and thirst for it. It is this kind of righteousness that is required in order to reign with Christ. 
And the next step is holiness, to have every part of us belong to God, our thoughts, desire, motives, all our worship. Righteousness will lead to holiness, Romans six nineteen. Righteousness and holiness compared. Righteousness is doing right acts and deeds. It is to deal fairly and justly with others. Holiness, however, is much deeper. We can be righteous without being holy. Many people in the scripture were righteous but not holy, and this is where many Christians find themselves today. Lot, the nephew of Abraham, is a prime example. Lot had a sense of justice, but he was a man who was in love with the world too, Second Peter 2, 7, 8. There were certain things such as Asa and Jehoshaphat who were declared by the Lord to be righteous, but they would not remove the high places. These men administered many good deeds and acts of righteousness while reserving in their hearts and other areas of devotion and affection for what was unholy. Thus, God wants to work in these inner recesses of our hearts and bring us to true holiness. And I mean, that just means that, see, I, so I'll be the first to say, I know, you know, I am not there yet, but I sure have a thirst to get there. You know, that that's, you know, righteousness. By trying to live right, it leads to holiness. Righteousness unto holiness, Romans 6.19, practicing righteous acts and responding to what God is putting his finger on in our lives will lead to holiness. Obeying and responding to the truth will lead us unto unfeigned love for the brethren and unto holiness. Review. At At new birth, we are counted righteous, though we still have many problems. God then desires to thoroughly work in our hearts so that we are made righteous, truly righteous. In the meantime, we should have a peace in our hearts as we rest in the assurance that God looks at us as being righteous while he is making us righteous and holy. Here is the order. Imputed righteousness affects only our standing where we are counted righteous. Imparted righteousness, we have been made righteous. We pass some tests and our deeds are right. And true, and sometimes to get to the next level, all right, you accept the Lord, you, you, you learn about a new life, to get, then you, you, you know, then you try to do things on your own that's right, you try to live right. But sometimes the, the test is what push us. So we have imputed righteousness where we start, imparted righteousness is where we live right, and then we live right, we move to true holiness. Every part of us belongs to God. Our affections and motives are pure. Okay. And um, remember the key to growth is continuing to respond to the light. Light brings us to love. There can never be true love or unity unless we are responding to the truth. 1 John 1, 7, 1 Peter 1, 22, responding to the truth remedies in our hearts, those things which cause disunity. All right. So that was uh, the book of Job. And, um, okay, let me see what's this. Okay. All right, so next time we'll take a look at the theme of Job and tragedy, uh, when tragedy strikes Job. Any comments? That was a pretty long reading. Um, Give me some feedback. I enjoyed it, that's for sure. It's been a while. 
since I um, have been on a call, um, you know, I've been on your call several times, but it's been a while since I've been on a call where I actually understood what was being spoken. And I think the two um, are phenomenal. Um, the message about Job and his suffering and the reason behind his suffering, um, it was very informative, very. You, you know, and I, I thank you for saying that. And let me just say, God, I know God is just an awesome God because, you know, I, you know, I love that, um, that Bible Institute I had, but, uh, a lot of times it was just more so just reading. And, well, I mean, I did learn a lot from it, but I, I thank God for more practical readings because I do feel I'm learning more from this read, from this, this course, definitely. I mean, now I'm not reading. Before I was just going through the Bible. I was like, I want to go through the whole Bible, you know. And and I could tell people were just like, okay, yeah, you read Genesis. Okay, you read, you know, the next chapter and the next. But there's nothing like being able to truly get some type of understanding from what you're reading. And I felt right. this was very relevant to the T.I., you know, of my life. I need answers. And I don't want to be ignorant, and I don't want to be uh, bitter. So you know what I'm saying? That's been as, as long as I knew I was a T.I., honey, I've been looking and I, I want answers because, I mean, you can't tell me God is sovereign and then, but the devil's allowed to do this to innocent people. So I've been looking for answers because so, I know God is, is sovereign. And I thank God for this because this gives me a little more clarity. You know, I mean, in all reality, do I like the TI program? No, I don't. But like I said, I've always said, what the cool. devil plans. Exactly. What the devil planned for bad, God can use for good. Right, right. And yep. this program couldn't exist unless God allowed it. Right. Yep. You are so right. You know? Mm-hmm. I got some questions. Yeah. Nancy, Lisa, comments? Lisa? Lisa was so active before. Nancy? Am I that late? It's only 2 30. Are you talking about Delisa? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know she was on the call. She was so active before, and now I just lost her. Oh, no. She's echo cool. She probably fell asleep. Let me go over some questions and answers that will even help with our understanding here. Satan's accusation that Job was only serving God for the blessing was actually a judgment against himself because Satan only served God for the benefits. What does that mean? And I have here, Satan was praised in heaven for his beauty, wisdom, and musical abilities. When he wanted to be equal with God, God demoted him. Then he was angry and became God's enemy. Therefore, we see that he was only serving God for the blessings, and he was blaming that on Job. You know, he was saying, yeah, he just served you because he got all the riches. 
But they, that was Satan was saying that because that's what he did. If mm-hmm. if if we do not pass the test that Satan failed, we will not be able to have power over Satan or possess what he has forfeited. True or false? What repeat the question again? If we do not pass the test that Satan failed. We will not be able to have power over Satan or possess what he forfeited, true or false. True. That is true. Right. Right response to injury, meaning by grace, it protects our mental and emotional health, true or false. Right response to injury, when we respond with grace, it protects our mental and emotional health. Yes. True. Yeah, that is true. Right. And that just makes sense. When that devil just throw all these problems and things at us, we have to have a right, right response to injury. And we have to respond by grace. You know, whether it be praying over the stuff, you know, because other than that, you know, what are we going to do? Become alcoholics? Smoke our life away? Become a crackhead? You know, so it's right response to injury is critical. And I and, and somewhere I read, too, it says it wasn't the problems in life that take people out. It was the reactions. <laughs> and that's oh. basically, yeah, it was the reaction to problems. Mm-hmm. All right, Job is mm-hmm. an end-time mm-hmm. Job is an end-time book because we see a saint of God being refined in order to quali- in order to qualify to reign with Christ. In what mm-hmm. way did Job describe his vision of the second coming of Christ in millennium? All right, I'll give you the verses. That would be Job 19, verse 25 to 27. Mm-hmm. All right. About how old is the book of Job? Job. Uh, it, it was it was old. It, it was older than Genesis. I remember that. Right. And Genesis is what five hundred years old. Right, something like that. I think it was. But the Book of Job, how old was it? Four thousand years old. Oh God, that's a old, old. Yeah. Do you remember who they said was the author of the book of Job? They said the author of the book of Job was quite possibly who? Uh, that was Elihu, E-L-I-H-U. Elihu was the fourth man. All right, the author of the book, all right. Job, Noah, and Daniel are noted as the three most righteous men in the Old Testament. Okay. In what verse? That would be Ezekiel fourteen fourteen. Okay. Ultimately, this should be easy. Ultimately, who is responsible for Job's trials? Who is the author of Job's trials? God. God. Okay. Oh, Lisa, you back or Nancy? Yeah. Right, you went to the ladies' room? I was calling for you. Oh, I fell asleep. Ah. Hi, Denisa. Hi. It's Elizabeth. How are you doing? 
I'm fine. How you doing? I'm okay. Thank you. Good to be on this call, isn't it? Yeah, I love this. I love this discussion. Me too. All right, let's let's do a few more. Did Job's trial come as a result of any sin in his life or negative confession? Yes or no? No. Correct. No. Good. Does anyone remember the seven ways Job was tested? Economically was one. Remember, I was like, if you were a T.I.? Economically, domestically, hmm. I I should be I should know the answer to that because I live it every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do know it. Let me let me get all right. If next one begins with an M, economically, domestically, one begins with an M, one begins with an E, and one begins with an S that are easy. Economically, domestically. Money? No, give me a lead. These are all LYs. Economically, he was, just when I said uh, we are all tested like this. He was tested in seven ways. Economically, domestically. (coughs) Come on. Come give me some leads. Think of some leads. Economically, domestically, mentally. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Give me, give me some more. Come on, Lisa. Mentally, he was tested economically, domestically. Come on. Mentally, emotionally. Financially. That was an economically. Financially. Well, that's economically. Oh. Economically, mentally, emotionally. Give me some more. Seven ways. He was tested. And think of yourself as a TI. You're tested economically, mentally, emotionally. What other tested ways? The TI program tests what? Your Socially. economic? Socially? Socially. Yes, correct. Excellent, yep. Your health, another word for health would be physically. We're tested physically, economically, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, and domestically. Whoa. Yeah, and that's the that's the life of a TI. That's what I said when I was reading. I said that he was tested economically, domestically, physically, socially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Job was a TI. Mm-hmm. Um, did Job's trial come as a result of any sin in his life? No, we did not. All right. What makes the difference between strong and weak believers? What is the deciding factor? This word begins with a V. A V, V, N, and a U. What makes strong and and weak believers? 
The difference between strong and weak believers is vision. And what is the deciding uh, factor for the vision is understanding. Mm-hmm. Did Job at any time complain about Satan? Nope. Nope. Yeah. Excellent. No, he didn't. Okay, this is good. Whenever we question God, we are doing two things. When we question God, we start blaming God. We're doing two things. Like we're telling ourselves above God. Excellently, so putting God, lifting up ourselves above God and putting God down. Excellent. We're saying like you don't know what you're doing. I'm more intelligent than you. How could you do this? You. We just have to accept it. It's saying we have to get understand, not accept it like lay in the, lay in the in the in the tracks, you know, in front of the train. No, we have to say if it's happening, then there's a reason for it, and we need to seek out, you know, by prayer, to do what God wants us to do to get rid of it. About how long was Job's trial? Six months. Excellent. Six about six months and one year to one year to, yeah, from the scripture. Okay. Anybody remember the advice of the three friends? Oh, um repent. Pray. Uh, no, some of some they, they didn't go to. They just said some of the things they said were wrong. Some were, uh, some were right. Some are true enough, but not. They did not relate to Job's situation. They was just telling him like to repent and all of that, and and, and none of that. It, it had nothing to do. How should we act when we're in company with people who are in great pain? Uh, we should be very silent. And something I'll say very little and acknowledge their pain. Right, say as little as possible and pray softly. Mm-hmm. And we God get there were seven reasons for Job's trial. Let's see, twenty-eight. It was a test to see what kind of man Job was. And um, God had at least seven reasons for Job's trial. It says to list them here. It was to see what kind of man Job was. God wanted to have words to say to the accuser. It was to make Job even more righteous. It was to bring a greater revelation of the Lord to Job. It was to bless his end, exalt him, and give him an eternal name. And it was to test everyone around him. Everyone was on trial. And it was to leave a message to succeeding generations. Imputed, the difference between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is to be counted righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Imparted righteous is to be made righteous. 
imputed righteousness it goes for little children imparted righteousness it goes to young men and women how did job react after he lost everything He continued to worship God instead of initially he continued he, he Job worshiped God instead of accusing God. Job's right response to injury saved him from suicide and mental emotional disorders. True or false? That true. Is, that is true. And that's why as TIs we have to take heed. Again, Job's right response to injury it saved him from suicide and mental emotional disorders. And that's why I pray for my nephew because he can't understand what's he going through, you know, and they trying to they trying to induce suicide on that boy and, and to give him a nervous breakdown. So I mean the spiritual the spiritual this knowledge here is, is phenomenal. Because, yo, he's trying to fight this thing on his own strength. You can't fight this sick thing. These people shaking you up, trying to stop him from working, waking him up, shaking him all night for hours. What? Hmm. All right, this is a good one. Why does God still have Satan around? To, to try you. Yes, to test us. Yep. Yep. Why does God still have Satan around? Uh, that's in uh, Revelation you know, 2.10. I've often wondered why God still has Satan around. I, I never could figure out why, other than that he is testing us. Yep. What? That's yep. all I can, you know... Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Oh. All right, I'm gonna stop there. I hear people yawning. But um yeah guys, thanks for, for joining me here. Because um Yeah, I, I, I you know, I ha- I have to get to the bottom of this for my own for my own well being, you know. I was you know <laughs> What I swear that thing, wait a minute, this class was called How to How to Turn a Curse to a Blessing. Girl, I ordered them books so quick. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, every TI I know can benefit from this. How it was like how to turn a curse to a blessing. I said, Oh no, give me that whole series. I said send me I said, send me the whole series, and it's so sad. Well, I was, I was the minister I was speaking to, let me tell you, you know, when I was ordering uh-huh. the book, he sounded all nice. And then I was like, yes, I'm going to read this with a group of people. You know, we call ourselves targeted individuals. Girl, that man was uh-huh. like, okay, now you take care. <laughs> okay. Girl, okay. Girl, once I mentioned that, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And we're the lucky ones because you're reading it and we get to enjoy it with you. Yeah, and and, and you, know, you know, I I mean, to me, if you're really into this, if you're a real T.I., you want, you want answers like I do. And you want to <laughs> yeah. come out of it. You want to come out of it. Yeah. 
right. you, you want to turn it, you understand this this is this program here is a curse. There's the secrecy yes. curse to keep it in the secrecy it's mode. A secrecy curse, a conspiracy, and Con- they got everybody in your diameter with eyes. Yeah. That's just how they work. Yeah. No doubt and dirty. And once once I, I forgot we have read poverty is a curse. So any program that's gonna continuously induce you into poverty, you need to know when a curse is going on. What we do mm-hmm. need to thank God for is despite all of but their you know, when planning, you try to tell somebody about this program, they look at you like you're crazy, but they do that knowing that they're part of the program because they are the perpetrator with the eyes and with the mouth. You know, so they don't know they're working for the devil. The devil might be paying them for information about a particular individual. What time do they do this? What time do they do that? But uh, people don't know. As soon as the opportunity permits itself, they become the victim next. Exactly. (laughs) Okay? Right. They They don't understand... That yeah, it won't be long before they catch on. It won't exactly. be long. Exactly. <laughs> it's best to stay out and you keep yourself clear. Don't get involved. I'm yep. telling people that all the time. That's what happened to Bruno. Remember them um, boys with, um, uh, uh playing all that loud music in front of his house, and he went out there and told them to cut it out, and then they put him in the program, and then... um. What happened? They put him in the program soon thereafter, and then um, they started reporting to whoever was in charge, you know, on the perpetrator level for that particular area or that particular block. And Mm -hmm. he turned around, the same boys that put him in the program was put in the program. (laughs) Okay? Mm -hmm. Same ones. Same ones. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to be careful. When you're dealing with this underground and um, what you want to call it, perpetrating activities, Chuck. That's exactly what it is. Chuck. Mm-hmm. is crazy. Yeah. I ain't never seen nothing like this in my life. What? Well, the rules will say never change. After he used people, he usually get rid of them. I mean, I hate to say he it. He gets rid of them after yeah. he uses them. That is correct. And they think they're doing him a favor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because... That's how it's presented to them, as you're doing a good deed. This person is is a bad person. This person does this. This person has done that. They're bad. We want you to keep an eye on them. Watch them. Come and report back to us what they do every day. And they all know they next in line. (laughs) Just that simple. And I and I hope you know. I hope even you know my nephews. Everyone could take. Take heed on uh, just how this devil works because, you know, I love my sister dearly, but, I mean, that devil had her doing astrology and metaphysics, and after he used her, look what he did. She ain't here with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. And I pray the kids can see, you know, a gift of God is longevity. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. You know, so then something she had to definitely, nobody in my family went at 50 years old. Mm, mm, mm. And, girl, he had her going. 
with the reading charts and come on over, have people. You know, he blessed her with a beautiful house, a family, and you want to take uh-huh. your time to be reading charts and doing metaphysics and you know. And it, it, to me, it boils down to exactly what the Bible talks about. You know, that from the beginning of age, man, you know, God told him, don't mess, don't mess with that, don't, don't, those fruits. And I believe it was, and they say, the book of good and evil. I think God was saying, don't mess with that stuff, you know, witchcraft. Right. And these right. people believe they got some, they, you know, that's why they hate Christians so much. They have, we know more than every Christian put together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I bet you do know more. Because <laughs> ain't nobody yeah. trying to study that nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ain't nobody trying to find out you want to work with the devil. That's on you. Yeah. I don't care how many spells and and you can you can control the world. They tell them with that girl, please. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I thank God, you know, for understanding, for for a thirst, for knowledge, and and you know maybe this program, you know, was needed too for humility. I mean, you know, for to humble us to you know to be willing to learn about this. Because, you know, girl, yeah. please, half of us were so busy running around, we were not trying to find no Bible. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God's got a way of, of putting his hand on his people. Mm-hmm. So, Miss Nancy, Nancy, so sweet woman. I think so. Mm, she well, might be I'm, sweet. Yeah, I'm glad you introduced me to her, though. Yeah, she she turned out to be a really nice person and a very good prayer warrior for the most part. But I'm okay. While I have, yeah, yeah. Why don't you close us out, Elizabeth? Oh, Miriam, you you close us out, please, <laughs> or Delisa. I like Miriam. I want to appreciate it. I mean, I, I can I can say a prayer. Okay. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you and we just praise you. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Prince of Princes. We worship and we praise your holy name. Lord, it is to you that we look for you to guide our footsteps, guide our minds, guide our thoughts, protect our families. Lord, we ask that you keep our mind focused on what on what matters Ma- and let us not be led astray. And Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you keep us in a position to hear your word, to hear it, to understand it, to comprehend it that we can share it with someone else, what we have learned. Lord, we ask for those that have been put, well, not put, but that has slid off track and gotten on the wayside. Lord, we ask that you pull them back in, Lord. Just, just, Just pull them back in, God. They just fell off. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And above all, we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, we know that you 
uh, the answer to everything, to, to to all of our questions, to all of our concerns. Lord, we know that you are the king of peace and harmony. And Lord, we, we depend on you just 100%. Even some of us who may have fallen to the wayside still depend on you. And Lord, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And we just ask that you continue to to bless us. And we do claim it. We claim the blessings that you have brought our way. We 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 don't mean monetary blessings, but that's included. But we mean just blessing us with with the, the right mind to be able to think straight, to that you blessed us with our health. And and on the days that we may feel low that you bring us out of it. Lord, we thank you for for waking up in the morning. We thank you for breathing clearly. We thank you uh, for being able to help other people, those that are in need. Lord, we thank you for having a charitable heart. Lord, we just have so much to thank you for, God. Lord, we just thank and we just praise you because when we think of your name in the name of Jesus, when we think of your name, we think hope, love, and peace. And these are all the things that you're about. Lord, we know we are we have fallen short in 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 your likeness, but God, we just ask that you will forgive us for any sin that we may have committed, uh, that we know of or know not. Lord, we ask that you continue to keep to give us direction. Uh, of the direction of which you want us to go. Um, Lord, we ask that you uh, direct our family members, those that um, are really need you, um, you know, health-wise, mental-wise, God, just just go in and touch their heart and touch their mind, God. Touch their bodies, God, that they may be healed. Lord, give them the, 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 the understanding that... Um, they could think on their own accord and not covertly. Lord, give them the power of the Holy Ghost to override the thoughts of the devil that are being implanted in their minds. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And Lord, you say that we pray for our enemies. Lord, there's one particular person. I'm not going to say no name. But, Lord, just touch her heart, God. Touch her mind, God. Lord, we believe, I believe that she has a good heart, but, but the devil is just messing with her real, real bad, God. And Lord, I just ask that you just touch and anoint her mind, Lord, that she can be fruitful in her works, God, and to be able to work with other people in a harmonious manner. Lord, we ask that you... Just, just, just stay, just stay in our midst, just as you have done. You, you carried us in the sand, and Lord, we just thank you and we praise you, God. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, I'd like to give praise and thanks. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Is that Nancy? Oh no, Lisa. Oh, okay. All right. I thought, I thought Nancy woke up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, any last... 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.